From Thriller Digital, welcome to the season finale of Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. I'm your host, James Lee. Due to the graphic nature of the details of this case, listener discretion is advised. Episode 8, Lies Don't Live Forever. Fourteen years after the murders of Cheryl and Carol, on October 29th, the defense produces a sworn affidavit from Nicole Beauzegard, Mark Van Sant's wife. After listening to over 200 phone calls from Mark in jail to his wife, mother, and the state attorney. Mark says on one of his calls that he should be a car salesman because he can lie so well that people believe whatever he says. They discover Mark was offered a deal to testify against Clemente, as well as phone calls containing information contradicting his original testimony at Clemente's 2006 trial. In his original testimony, Mark claimed that Samantha was with him all night the night of the murders, and he had slept like he was dead to the world. In the affidavit, Nicole claims that Mark told her that Samantha woke him up in the middle of the night. He said she told him she had a bad feeling about her mother. According to Nicole, Mark said he offered to drive Samantha home, but she said no, and told him he should still come to the house in the morning to pick up a load of laundry. Mark tells Nicole that Samantha had crawled out of his bedroom window the night of the murders. Nearly nine months into the jury selection process, on November 5th, 2018, the prosecution abruptly dismisses the charges against Clemente. According to Seminole County State's Attorney Phil Archer, The decision was based on new evidence that materially affects the credibility of a critical state witness. While the murder charges against Clemente are dismissed, he's not finished with the U.S. legal system just yet. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security places an immigration hold on him, and Clemente is released on a federal immigration court bond, and his lawyers file an asylum application. A person granted asylum in the United States is legally permitted to remain in the country without fear of deportation to their home country, according to U.S. immigration law. After being incarcerated for 14 years, 4 months, and 19 days, 10 years and 3 months of that time spent on death row, Clemente is about to get a crash course on everything that has changed in the world. Remember, In 2004, the last time Clemente was a free man, the newest technology in mobile devices was the flip phone. So when his lawyer puts him on a FaceTime call with his lawyer's son, Clemente isn't sure how to respond, saying, what the hell? How can I see your face through the phone? Not only are video calls new to him, but when he gets into his lawyer's car, she takes a phone call through her speaker system, and he's just as confused. Technology has made leaps and bounds in the almost decade and a half he spent behind bars. His legal team takes him to an upscale restaurant for the first meal as a free man, and he orders a steak and a Corona, but learns that the restaurant only serves champagne and wine, no beer. However, one of the servers hears about Clemente's story and heads to the closest store, comes back with a 12-pack of Coronas and tells Clemente, It's on me. 
Clemente files for compensation, but is denied due to the fact that the time limit to file is 90 days starting from the date that the court overturns this conviction. Remember, in 2016, Clemente was still in jail as the prosecution was going to retry him for the same crime. It was not until two years later, in 2018, that the prosecution dismissed the charges, which is when he files for compensation. As unfair as it is, the judge is to deny his request, because according to the law, he was too late. In fact, only one-third of Florida exonerees have been compensated under the law, and the other two-thirds receive nothing. Florida is one of 35 states in the United States that have a compensation law for the wrongfully convicted, which is disheartening. Imagine if you were wrongfully convicted of a crime and spent years in prison, particularly the 14 plus years in Clemente's case. And then if you are eventually released, you return to the real world with nothing. No job, no place to live unless you can stay with friends or family, no clothes, no savings, nothing. In Clemente's case, because of his immigration status, he has refused a work permit and can't find a new job. He can't even get a driver's license or a simple state ID to prove his identity. When he is first released, the only way to prove his identity is by showing a newspaper article about his wrongful conviction that includes a picture of him, informing them that he has been exonerated. He was eventually able to obtain a passport from his home country, but he is unsure what the immigration court will do. They could either let him stay in the country or deport him. While Clemente is obviously overjoyed to be released, he never got any sort of apology. Retired Seminole Judge O.H. Eaton says the evidence that has surfaced since he and a jury recommended execution 12 years ago has convinced him this case is simply rotten. The evidence I heard during the trial in 2006 substantiated the verdict, Eaton said in a 2018 article. The evidence I've heard now does not. If I knew then what I know now, I probably would have ordered the jury's verdict overturned. Eaton also said he struggles to understand why the state is going after this case again, saying he doesn't see enough evidence for a conviction, much less an execution. The evidence and information that has drastically changed since the first trial includes Donna Burke's fabricated identification of Clemente's fingerprint on the knife. Mark Van Sant's lie about being dead to the world and never hearing Samantha leave the night of the murders, when in fact he had admitted to his wife that she had crawled out from his window in the middle of the night. Testing many pieces of evidence after Clemente's conviction and finding out that Clemente's DNA was nowhere in the crime scene. However, Samantha's DNA was found in eight locations. The alibis that were never investigated, such as interviews with any of the management or employees of Pretzel's Bar, where Clemente claimed he had been all night. Samantha's multiple, repeated admissions that she had killed her mother and her grandmother. Judge Eaton describes this case as the poster child for why the death penalty is flawed. As of the recording of this episode, no one has been charged with the brutal murders of Cheryl Williams and Carol Barris. The state of Florida has had its fair share of wrongful and overturned convictions. In fact, according to the Death Penalty Information Center, 
No state in America has had more death penalty convictions overturned than Florida. Most of them being defendants without money, power, or public sympathy. And race comes into play as well. In Florida, a shocking 73% of all overturned death penalty convictions were people of color. Countrywide, the number still sits at 65%. 65% of all death penalty convictions nationwide that were overturned were for people of color. An interesting history note, in 1976, Gregg v. Georgia was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court which reaffirmed the acceptance of the use of the death penalty in the U.S. According to the Intercept 2019 article, Counting the Condemned, in the decades since Gregg, people of color made up 51% of those sentenced to death in Texas. This percentage has grown to 75% in the past decade. In California, people of color made up 52% of those sentenced to death, compared to 78% in the last 10 years. In Florida, the proportion jumped from 40% to 52% over the same two periods. And in Oklahoma, people of color leapt from 28% of those sentenced to die in the decade after Greg to 80% in the last 10 years. The article goes on to say that in all of the U.S., out of the 7,335 people that have been on death row, in 32% of the cases represented in the data set, individuals have ultimately been resentenced, meaning that courts have intervened to correct errors that occurred at trial. In other words, roughly a third of all death penalty prosecutions were flawed in some way that required re-adjudication. To dive further into the justice system, our team sat down with Daphne Priscilla Jack, a former parole officer that interacted with multiple wrongfully convicted prisoners and ended up on the other side when her husband was wrongfully arrested. Did you know that one in five Americans have had at least one package stolen off their porch in the last 12 months? Eufy's security cameras can help ward off potential porch pirates with their groundbreaking facial recognition technology that determines if an object is human, a vehicle, or an animal. It can even recognize and identify different faces. Eufy has no monthly fee. So once you purchase your Eufy cameras, that's it. No more payments. Right now you can get a discount on Eufy security cameras by clicking the link in our show notes. Eufy, smart home simplified. Daphne and her husband experienced years of hardship with the United States justice system until his conviction was ultimately overturned. Daphne is the author of the book, The Other Side of the Story, where she discusses her experience with the criminal justice system. She's also the founder of a nonprofit called Prevention Zone Inc. and has her own podcast called If Emmett Was Alive Today. I am a retired parole officer. Being a parole officer, we're there to serve and protect the community, keeping up with the safety of the public. Early on in my early years, I wanted to be in law enforcement. Didn't know that years later, I would be a part of the criminal justice system with my family member. Didn't know that my life would change. In the course of her experience with the legal system, Daphne has a unique outlook. 
She's been on the right side of the law as a parole officer, and she's seen the bad side as someone whose husband has dealt with a wrongful accusation. Some years later, my husband was going through the system unexpectedly. So I'm here on one side of the story, going into another side of the story. So I'm on the good side, but now if you want to say, quote unquote, the bad side, dealing with the criminal justice system myself. Sacrifices are made by people going through this experience. For instance, she would take her vacation days to go to court once a month. And as a parole officer, overwhelmed with anxiety over being seen by her parolees or colleagues in the courthouse. Everything that happened, it affected the children because the children got picked up from CPS and we almost lost our home. Um, our car was repoed. We were without transportation and we had to borrow a vehicle. Then we got our vehicle fixed and then didn't have an air condition. And this is, you know, during the course of five years that we went through all of that. Daphne herself admits that before her own experience, she shared the same outlook as Clemente. If you're convicted of a crime, it's because you did it, period. As far as I was concerned, when the allegations came, you know, I, he's guilty. He did the crime, had to, no ifs, no buts about it. But of course that did change with time and we came out victoriously. She encountered a situation with one of her parolees that would change her outlook. One day with one of my guys, he came in. I said, tell me, why did you commit this crime? Because my mentality was if you got convicted for a crime, you did it, period. He said, well, Ms. Jack, you know, I really didn't commit my crime. I said, yes, you did, because you went to prison. You got convicted and you here with me. I'm your parole officer. And he said, no, Ms. Jack, I got tired of sitting downtown at the county jail. It had been two years and they offered me a plea bargain and I took it. So I went to prison. So I said, so let me get this straight. So you didn't commit this crime, but you took the plea bargain and you went to prison and now you're here. And I said, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. Again, not knowing that I would be faced with the same situation. And so with that, start talking about people who have been wrongfully convicted. Defendants exonerated in 2020 lost 737 years, which is an average of 13 years per exonerate. There were 129 exonerations in 2020. Not a thousand, a hundred. And 29. Of the 129 exonerations, there were 87 accounts of official misconduct, 50 of which were homicides, 30 mistaken identities, 13 false confessions. And Clemente's case involved some of these, including the false palm identification on the murder weapon that was expertly identified as Clemente's. The official misconduct of Donna Burke's identification was a key piece in Clemente's conviction, in tandem with the accusation from Samantha. What are the steps someone needs to take if they're trying to be exonerated? You know, when they get convicted and they go to prison, they have the opportunity, if they have a good attorney, to do an appeal, to try to fight the case. 
and then the prison talk, you know, hey man, you heard about this dude, you know, you need to try the Innocence Project, whatever, whatever. So they get to hear about those different tools and, and different contacts that they can reach out to, to help them. It's a very long process. Um, it can take up to years. You have people who've been in prison 10, as, as we stated, 13 plus years. So you're talking people who have been in prison for 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, and their cases finally get exonerated. So as I stated, you know, you have someone that's in prison and might not have the family support or whatever. The word do get out, you know, if, if they want to fight for their freedom, the word do get out and they do have access to reach out and, and hopefully so their case can be exonerated. And it was um, a little sign when we were going through, my daughter and I, we were driving in this particular area of town. And so we stopped at the stoplight and this was during the time that we were going through. And she looked up, she said, mama, look at that sign. And I was trying to see, and she said, you see what it says? And I said, oh, wow. And it stated, lies don't live forever. That was the indication of our truth. With the guys that's in prison, dealing with that, lies don't last forever. And they just have to, have to continue to fight, have to continue to fight. In January of 2020, Clemente's attorneys file a federal civil lawsuit against Seminole County, alleging that the Seminole County Sheriff's Office conducted a biased and negligent investigation that resulted in Clemente's wrongful arrest and conviction. This lawsuit names Sheriff Lemma, Robert Hemmert, Jacqueline Grossi, and Donna Burks, and also alleges that the investigation, prosecution, and trial were all conducted in an unconstitutional manner. One of the examples given by Clemente in his lawsuit is the failure to investigate and provide information that would have exonerated him, implying that Samantha Williams committed the crimes. Defendants Lemma, Hemmert, Grossi, and Burks deny all of the lawsuit's claims. On March 24, 2021, Almost 17 years after the murders, defendants Lemma, Hemmert, and Grossi file a motion to determine the confidentiality of court records and to unseal a court file. At the time of this recording, this is the latest development in the ongoing lawsuit. 14 years, four months, and 19 days later, Clemente is now a free man living his life, trying to make up for lost time. He lives in Florida with his dogs and is sponsored by the Sunny Center, a nonprofit organization that helps people who have suffered the injustice of wrongful conviction, giving them support after they've been exonerated and released from prison. The Sunny Center was founded by Sonny Jacobs and Peter Pringle, both of whom were sentenced to death for crimes they did not commit. Clemente stated that before going to prison, he always assumed that people were in prison because they did something wrong. Unfortunately, his experience is firsthand proof that this isn't always the case. He had never been arrested in his entire life, had never had any problems with the police, no record, nothing. And he was completely innocent of the crimes for which he was arrested and convicted. 
Never in my mind did it occur to me that I would be charged with the murder of my friends. My own friends at the time, Clemente said on Catholics Across the Aisle. He claimed that for 18 months, his lawyer advised him to plead guilty to the crime. But he refused, because that is how his mother raised him. He is aware that his story was consistent throughout because it was the truth, whereas other stories kept secrets, told lies, and falsified alibis. He said, The truth is the truth. You won't have inconsistencies on the truth because you will remember the truth as long as you live. We can't ignore the role that implicit bias had to play in Clemente's story. Being a man of color, someone who doesn't speak English, and an illegal immigrant, perhaps it was easier for jurors in the justice system to pin someone of this profile on the murders of two white women. Clemente has a message for anyone going on jury duty. Keep an open mind, no prejudgment. We shouldn't judge people. We all make mistakes. We are all not perfect. We should be kind with one another. After almost a decade and a half of sitting in a cell for a crime he didn't commit, justice has finally come for Clemente Aguirre Harkin. But there is still more to be done. Justice still awaits for Cheryl Williams and Carol Barris, two women brutally murdered in their own home by a killer who still walks free. For more information on the Innocence Project, Prevention Zone Inc., or the Sunny Center, please visit our website at thrillerdigital.com. This podcast was produced by KJ and Maddie, hosted by James Lee, edited and fact-checked by Alice Goody, and music produced by Kevin McLeod, Ashot Danielin, Alex Avesa, Alan Frains, Slice Beats, and Lee Robinson. We'll see you on the next season of Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>